as we prepare to hear the reading and preaching of God's word, let's pray and ask for his help. Oh Lord, oh Lord, you are good and gracious and you care for uh, your people. You've told us that your word goes forth and does not return to you void, but does all that you intend. So we ask this morning that as we read your word, as we hear it preached, that it would be sweet to us, that you would teach us, that the spirit would, would work in amongst most, uh, most unction and that we would have Christ revealed to us, that we might grow in your grace. And that we might rejoice even as in the hearing of the reading and preaching of your word that the lost sinners may be saved and reconciled to you and given life in Christ. And that we, your people, may be conformed to his image. Lord, we love you and ask that you would, would teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 22, we're going to read the last verse there in 22 and then into the first 11 verses in 20, chapter 23 as we're continuing our, uh, our work through the uh, New Testament book of Acts. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, perhaps tapping on your devices, I'll remind you that Acts is written to uh, confirm the certainty that Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. Praise God, we see that continually, not only in Acts, but church history and all around us, and we're living it, and we're thankful for that. And we've come to a place here at, at the end of chapter 22 and in the beginning of chapter 23 where, where Paul is, has found himself uh, in, imprisoned by the Romans, and this is where he will stay for the rest of uh, this book. Uh, he's making another defense in chains, as it were. Uh, you remember that he had, had gone to Jerusalem. He had set his face to, to go that direction. And in doing that, uh, understood and knew clearly, because the Lord told him repeatedly uh, that he would, uh, be suffer, he would uh, suffer in Jerusalem and there would be consequences uh, to his ministry. But he went. He went for the glory of God, his love for him, but also his love for his Jewish people. He wanted them to hear the gospel and to know that the Messiah had truly come, the one in which they had set their hope on for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years had come. God's promises had come to pass, and he wanted them to know that. And he was yanked out of the temple. A crowd was about to kill him. The Roman soldiers grabbed him, pulled him back. And if you've been with us, You'll remember that he then had opportunities to make his, his first defense. And then he cited his rights before the, the Romans who were going to flog him unjustly. And, and now the Roman soldiers wanting to know what is going on call together the chief priests and the Jewish religious council that Paul might give an account. And the Roman soldiers might be able to understand what is going on and why this, this man is turning Jerusalem upside down. So, follow along and hear God's word as I read Acts 22, verse 30 through Acts 23, 11. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. 
And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, the dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledging them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. In the second century, there was a, a disciple, an, an elderly disciple at this time, of John, who was the disciple of Christ. This, this disciple, his name was Polycarp. Polycarp was loved uh, in the city of Smyrna. He was loved by the church that was there in, in Smyrna. Uh, the Lord blessed him and gifted his, his labors. He was, from what we can tell in, in history, he was the last disciple of an apostle to die. So in, in some sense, he was, he was the last connection there was to the disciples who walked with Christ. And he was used mightily by the Lord. And as we see in Acts, what's happened to Paul and, and to Peter and the other apostles, when the Lord uses someone, when, when the gospel goes forth, when ministry happens, uh, when the kingdom of Christ advances, there's always opposition. And sadly, there, this is consistent for Polycarp. There was opposition against him as well. And when he was old, in his 80s, he was finally arrested. And when arrested, the, the Roman soldiers, they, they bring him and they bring him before a crowd. And as is as recounted, it's, it's in um, what we read of and think of is, is the persecution of Christians. This was in, a, in a, a time when Christians were being heavily persecuted by, by Rome, and he's brought into an arena, and there's the crowds there, and, and they demand Polycarp, reject Christ, denounce him as Lord, give incense and worship to Caesar, and proclaim he is the true Lord. 
all Polycarp had to do. They, they, they told him, you're an old man. You don't have to die for this. Just say, Caesar's Lord. Just, just throw the incense. Just give the worship that everyone else gives. Give the homage. Stop saying that this Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's all we ask you to do. And then you won't have to be torn to shreds by beasts. You won't have to, to die in a fire. It doesn't have to happen, Polycarp. Just, just put Jesus in his place. Below the state. Below our Caesar. It's recorded that Polycarp responded, this old man, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So in his bold, courageous proclamation of the truth of who Christ is, he sealed his own death warrant and they martyred him. They burned him at the stake as it's recorded and he died there by the hand of the Romans. But the Lord, as is recorded, as many brethren saw and, and told others after that, that, uh, that God gave Polycarp the comfort and peace and courage that he tells us in his word is, is a gift that he gives to his people in the midst of trials and, and suffering. And, and that was there. And, and we see here, tying back to, to Paul, just... Perhaps a hundred years or, or less before the Sanhedrin, we see that same courage given by the Lord to one of his servants. So as we look at our passage together this morning, what, what I want you to remember, what I want us to see, and, and the big point and, and the idea to walk away with is, is that you can be courageous in your daily witness of Christ because Jesus strengthens his people. So children, don't miss this. I'm not saying you can be courageous because you are good enough. I'm saying you can be courageous because Christ strengthens you. It is our God who strengthens us and we get our strength from. We're going to look at three things. Confidently witnessing Christ. Courage before the council. Christ powerful strengthening. So confidently witnessing Christ, uh, Paul's faith in Christ causes him uh, to be confident before the Lord with a clear conscience. That's what he tells the gathered council. He is clear in his conscience before God and all that he has done. As one, one commentator Notes about this. What mattered most, however, was how he conducted himself before the sovereign who examines the conscience. Paul was not claiming to have achieved sinless perfection. In fact, he had given up trusting in his own righteousness, as we read in Philippians 3, 9, and, and now saw himself as the worst of sinners who had persecuted Christ's church, as is recorded in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But in the matter before the court, Paul knew as God was his witness that he had done nothing to provoke this riot. He had not violated the Torah or the temple nor had he broken Caesar's laws. So when he stood there before the council and the Romans who were in charge, he could, with a clear conscience, stand before the king of kings, before God, and say, I have a clear conscience. I have done nothing to 
deserve what is coming. I have simply sought to seek, serve the Lord. You know, part of the Christian walk is is living by faith, uh, regardless of of what what happens in your life, regardless of of the the tops of the mountains, the bottoms of the valleys, the trials, the difficulties, the celebrations, the wonderful seasons. And in the midst of all of that, it is the Lord. It is he who gives us the strength to be able to live confidently before him with a a clear conscience. Not because we're perfect, because what we did earlier, we confessed our sins to God, trusting by faith that he would forgive us. We live confidently in Christ. And his righteousness. Paul's confidence in Christ keeps him from from being unwilling to admit when he's wrong. We see that in the the interaction here. I mean, think about how how many marriages come to an end. How many churches have schism and are wrecked with infighting and even split? How many nations go to war with one another? How many companies are ruined because of people or even individuals who refuse to admit when they're wrong. Who refuse to say, please forgive me. I was wrong. I should have said that. I should have done that. We're a young church plant toddling along and sadly or rightly, many of you can say, oh yeah, well, Pastor John has admitted to me and asked forgiveness. And I hope we do that to one another, but we need to admit when we are wrong. We see Paul is not afraid to do that. Uh, Paul, Paul makes this statement that he is standing in confidence before God with a clear conscience in what we see in, in, in history is consistent with Ananias. He, he basically like punched that dude in the face. Like, how dare he say that? Deal with him. And so he gets punched in the face. And uh, Paul... Again, another injustice against him. Uh, he gets perhaps a little excited, just got punched in the face, and he brings forth a, an Old Testament curse and rebuke. But then he finds out that he's broken God's law because he, he just cursed and rebuked the high priest that he didn't know. But what do we see Paul? Does, does Paul make excuses? Does Paul then uh, become... Uh, angry towards the high priest. No, what we see Paul do is admit in humility and, and quite courageously that I'm wrong. I did not know that that was the high priest. And then even cites God's word saying why he shouldn't have done it. And then he moves on. You think about the, 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 the reality of that situation in that moment. Who of us would want to give the opposition anything against us? And yet Paul is humble and confident in Christ. How countercultural. How countercultural it is to show respect to authority figures, those that God has put into place. Doesn't mean we have to blindly obey. We've talked about this, what the Bible teaches. We must obey God. When other authorities tell us to do different. But when we do, we have to be humble and expect consequences that come. And even when we do, we're not called to be disrespectful. We're not called to be like the world, what we're seeing in our culture, where everything must be torn down. 
That's not God's people. We're, we're called to, to build and maintain. We should resist those temptations that we see around us. And look to what, what Paul did here. How might the church, how might Christians be, how might our witness be impacted for Christ? If we would, we'd do it, but if we do a better job at admitting and confessing when we're wrong and asking for God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of those that we might wrong or perhaps even just acknowledging when we have gone against God's word, we've made mistakes and we haven't done what he has called us to do. Confidently witnessing Christ. We see courage before the council as well. Paul's courageous defense causes this council to be divided. Paul, Paul steps up here and he, he's, he's courageous. There's some boldness in what he does here before the, the council. You know, Matthew 10, 16 says, Jesus says to his disciples, Behold, I'm sending you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's Paul here. He's being very wise, but he's also being, uh, he's being very innocent. He's being shrewd. He, he sees and reads, and, and, and God is helping him and giving him godly wisdom to realize the situation so that he then can and interact in the best way possible. And, and the way he does this is he looks and sees Pharisees, he sees Sadducees, and he knows. He knows the conflict between them. These two parties in the religious Jewish authority, uh, they were the, the liberals and the conservatives. Now, both of these were ten, tended towards a works righteousness system, just different They had different things they stumbled into as they denied the gospel. But he knew one thing. He knew one group, the Sadducees, who really had more of the power. They denied life after death, resurrection, the promises of God's word that were there. They were denying that. They denied the gospel. And he knew, being a Pharisee, that he could appeal to the fact that the Pharisees, they believed these things. They believed God's word. And we see the errors that, that they, they make in the Gospels, but at the same time, he might call and appeal to them. So that's what he does in shrewdness. You know, most people, most people try to avoid controversy. Kind of like if you're hiking and you hear a noise or you see something, you're like, oh, that's a bear with, with her cubs. I wonder if she'd let me take a selfie. No, no, we rightfully walk away. Hey, bear. Whoa, bear. Hey, see you, bear. And we get out of there. That's how we, most of us, as soon as controversy comes, as soon as there seems to be, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. We're just like, hey, hey, bear. Whoa. We'll see you later. That's not what Paul does here. Paul, Paul wades right into it. Not because he's pugnacious and looking for a fight, but because he's been put into this situation. He doesn't just silence himself and back away and say, okay, well, we're just going to see what's going to happen here. He's, God gives him courage to step in and in this and, and be shrewd and to bring division amongst those who are seeking to, to unjustly persecute him. Maybe another, another picture that we can think of that takes us back into the wilderness, Paul Paul goes over and kicks over the hornet's nest. He didn't walk around it. He goes right in and he hits the thing he knows it's going to cause the Sadducees and the Pharisees to go at each other. Brothers, my fellow Pharisees, 
I'm here because they deny the truth and reality of the resurrection of the dead. They deny all the promises in God's word. That's why I've been arrested. Now, what he's saying is, I've been proclaiming that all these truths are complete and full in Christ. The Messiah has come. That's what he's proclaiming, but, he, but he's shrewd enough to, to just tell the promise. Because I believe the promise that God has given us. That's why they arrested me. That's why they're after me. And then he just kind of, then he backed up a little bit and just let these two groups go at each other. And that's what they do. They, they, they go at one another and, and, and this whole council begins to, to almost, as it were, melt down. And Paul doesn't do this just necessarily to, I think, to, to get himself out of another bad situation. He's been willing to go right forward into suffering, right forward into great danger. I think he's doing it because in this situation, he is now able to once again be put forward. The whole reason he went to Jerusalem, the whole reason he's been going around the known world is he wants to proclaim Christ, Christ crucified. He wants to proclaim repentance and belief in in the Savior. And he's hoping and praying that the Jewish people will take hold of these things. And he's got their leaders, their religious leaders right here. And he's able to boldly put them against one another by proclaiming the promises of the gospel. I think his heart is where it's been all through that we've seen. His heart is he desires that God will be using even this very situation to bring about the forgiveness and redemption and salvation of those that are there. Paul shows his, his godly courage by standing regardless of, of how hard this situation is. You know, we live in an age where um, bullying and, and, and aggression has gone beyond what we see here where the streets fill and there's moms. Where, I mean, we live in, we, maybe in one sense we think, okay, it's kind of silly. But in the other sense, it's very real. The social media peer pressure that's put on uh, not just children, but on adults as well. We have Twitter mobs. We have, we have real mobs that go out into the streets and do these things, and they put pressure, and, and they want to they exert that, and, and they want to cower people and, and cause them to live in fear and silence them and cancel them so that they will no longer stand for truth. That's the reality that we live in. And Paul is walking through a minefield. And he finally steps on the mine. Because he says, hey, it's that promise that we all see in God's word he made. It's that promise of the, the hope we have in the resurrection of life. The forgiveness. Forgiveness in the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ as we trust in him. He gives us a new heart and we look forward to the reality that this isn't it. Hey, Sadducees, this isn't the end. There's resurrection. There's life eternal. That's the landmine. It explodes. And that's when we see the Roman soldiers once again having to go in. Because they're like, oh, go get Paul. Go get that guy. They're going to kill him again. And if they kill him, then who knows what's going to happen on the streets. I don't think the Romans necessarily loved Paul. They just were like, hey, we really don't want to have to go out and squash a bunch more riots. They go in there and they yank Paul out. The easier thing would have been, as I mentioned earlier, the easiest thing for Paul would just have been quiet. 
The easy thing for you when you get in these situations is just to be quiet. You know the moments where your stomach turns upside down. You're like, oh, goodness, this is going to be it. Someone is going to be angry about something, and they're going to make, they're going to, they're going to say some mean things. They're going to, they're going to bully me. Should I say anything, or is it just easier just to, just let it go, just whatever, just want to kind of ride with the current, leave me alone. I just want to get through the day. Whether those are folks we we love in our family, those are folks we interact with, our neighbors, coworkers, whatever. Maybe there there are others who. And they may put something upon you in your face. And there's an expectation that, that you should just be quiet and, and accept it when what we see with, with Paul here is the Lord giving him a, a courage not to conform to the world and the things that are pushed upon them, but a courage to, to humbly and lovingly be bold in the midst of, of hard situations to say, no, I don't believe that. That's not what God tells us. That's not, that's not the reality of how God created this world. Um, I hope this doesn't upset you, but you know, can I tell you what I think? And then you have opportunities there to, to open conversations. But Paul, he's, the Lord causes him to be courageous in the midst of what, what is, I think all of us could say, a uh, pretty fearful situation. Not many of us probably want to be in the midst of a council and everyone there would like to see you dead. And depending on what words you use, that might happen. Confidently witnessing Christ's courage before the council, this, this Christian courage, not given just to special people like Paul, but a courage that the Lord gives to all of his people. We should be praying for and, and thanking the Lord for and utilizing and then we come to Christ's powerful strengthening. Paul remains steadfast in, in his beliefs despite the opposition of the council because of Christ's strength. Because of Christ. Not because Paul was a one in a million. Not because Paul would have been the equivalent of a, of a, a CEO of a top Fortune 50 company. Not because Paul was smarter than everyone around him. It was because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why, however you look at yourself, maybe you think, well, I'm not the smartest. Uh, I'm not the most gifted. I don't have the most opportunities. I I stumble over words. However you may, may view yourself, you need to know, dear Christian, that that when you're in union with Christ, Christ gives you strength just as he gave Paul, just as he gave all of your saints we see in God's word, we read of in church history, we see around us, particularly in situations that are much more challenging than we face. It is Christ that does, does these things. Our strength comes from him. Not Paul, the superman. So I'm hoping as we move our way through these defenses that regularly as we're going through, the reaction is going to be, and what the reaction I hope we're having now is one where we step back and we're just like, praise the Lord. Oh God, how amazing and awesome you are that you would work in such a way through 
through such weak vessels. And that you are gracious enough to strengthen me. Even in the many ways that we see Paul being strengthened. The Lord sustaining, strengthening Paul through everything. Then, Then the Lord visits Paul. He's encouraging him. And then again, he tells him, take courage. You're going to get to go to Rome. I don't know how excited a lot of us would be if we heard that encouragement, but be encouraged. You're going to get to go testify and witness me in Rome. The heart of the empire, the belly of the beast. I'm sending you there. Be encouraged, Paul. I'm going to strengthen you to witness my name. And we know Paul has this desire. He's come to Jerusalem and Paul has a desire to go to Rome. He wants to see the Christians that God has has raised up there. He wants to proclaim the gospel. I mean, this is the, the, the epicenter of power in the ancient world. And he wants to be taken right into the heart of it that he might be able to proclaim the realities of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He might be able to call all those who will listen to repentance and faith in Jesus that they might know salvation and and be able to throw off the, the destructive binding ways of their pagan faiths and philosophies and that he might see the Spirit come and give new hearts and regenerate those that he's preaching to. Even here in this statement, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. There's a point here where, where Jesus is saying, hey, I've been here with you, Paul, this whole time, strengthening you. I've been here, you know that. I'm not going to leave. I'm faithful to my promises. Paul, I am your strength. And Paul shows how important it is for, for all Christians to stand in, in the strength of Christ. You're reading this account. Uh, think of the temptations that, that we face to, to think that God is... It's not there. He's abandoned us. He's not strengthening us. He's not caring for us. That's one temptation. Then the other temptation would, would be not that he's not there, but yeah, he's here, but he just can't do anything. God's impotent. He doesn't have this power, he claims. Those are temptations that we face as God's people that we struggle with. And, and they're temptations Paul faced with. And, and yet the, the scriptures tell us that that is not true. And the scriptures reveal to us the great truth of the strength that God gives to his people. And particularly Paul even, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, re- records for us as he writes to the Philippians. We, we get a, a picture of this as he's faced with, with these questions and he's asking, how is it? Or perhaps others are asking him and they're wrestling with this. How is it that I have joy each day? How is it that I can trust God? How is it that I can have hope? How is it that I can have contentment in the midst of great celebrations and in the midst of mourning upon my bed and in the trials and the sufferings and and just life in general in this sinful world? How is this possible? In the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul 
Paul writes this in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul, in the midst of that counsel, he knows that he, he knows that he can do what he's been called to do because it is Christ who is strengthening him. He's trusting in him in the midst of this. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we'll walk away from the false American view that I am strong enough to do all of my, my dreams, that I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, that I am the captain of my destiny and will come and wrestle with the, with the reality the contentment, strength, hope, all these things are found in Christ and in Christ alone. You can't be courageous in your daily witness of Christ because Jesus strengthens his people. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful for, for the great love that you pour out upon us and that you do strengthen us, that we, we enjoy all of these blessings in Christ. And we thank you for your grace and how it is poured out and applied upon us, the death and resurrection of our Savior, a grace through faith in him. Lord, we ask that you would grow our love for you and you would continue to strengthen us as we are not conformed to the ways of this world, but conformed to the image of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.